welcome to our Perfecting Potatoes Together podcast brought to you by BASF. My name is Rebecca Dawes and in this year's series we will be travelling across the country to speak to growers, agronomists and independent experts to find out what's happening in the field, in the future and to share some top tips on how to perfect your potatoes. Today I'm joined by Scottish farmer Jim Reid, who runs a 250 hectare arable enterprise in Aberdeenshire, including potatoes, barley, wheat and oilseed rape. The family has been supplying seed potatoes exclusively to McCain since they moved to Scotland in 1987, as well as growing 80 hectares of processing varieties. I'm also joined by Mike Green, Head of Sustainability at BSF. Mike has been working with growers all across the UK to look at how to improve their practices on farm to look at sustainability alongside conventional farming practices. Jim, talk us through a little bit about your enterprise up in Aberdeenshire. What are you farming and uh, a little bit about the potato enterprise? We're very much a traditional family farm, uh, farming partnership with my 94 year old father, 80 year old mum and my brother Ron. Uh, my middle son helps us, uh, he's in the mix as well, so uh, it's very much a, an old-fashioned family business. Uh, I think that's why we're able to pay a lot of attention to detail, because we do everything ourselves. Um, the potatoes, which you know, I, I kind of concentrate on with McCain, uh, is all, I've always thought that the McCain philosophy of having their own seed growers producing their seed for their weir growers uh, for the factories is, you know, the weir growers can't deliver good processing material to the factory unless they're supplied with good seed. So I've always thought that it was a good model because McCain are in charge of the, of the seed from the time it's a stem cutting through until it's planted. So. We don't get it right all the time, but <laughs> we get it right most of the time. Uh, there are some challenging varieties uh, within them, but uh, we just learn to manage them, I think. And in terms of those varieties, Jim, what sort of varieties are you currently growing? You can cut this bit out if you want, but you know, McCain's biggest customer would be McDonald's. So Russet Burbank are the main variety for Mac fries. But when the English schools come off on holiday, uh, the Russell Burbank store until the end of June. Uh, they've got quite a long dormancy, but between June and the English school holidays are actually the busiest time. So they grow varieties like Premier, uh, Maureen, Shepherdy, that are dug green, green lifted straight from the field into the factory. And these fill in that gap until the main crop varieties come on board again. And it's these Premier and Maureen in Scotland where, you know, they're, they're susceptible to black legs. So soil and seed management is very important to minimise that. And the ground that you're growing your potatoes on, quite heavy? Uh, we a mixture. Uh, as we grow potatoes in a sort of 10 mile radius, 12, 15 mile radius, I, I suppose, of here. And, you know, every farm has uh, different soil types. It's the difference in Scotland. You'll think me very old fashioned, but, you know, all the small fields that uh, that used to be, 
were all created when our forefathers were walking behind a horse and they could see the soil types that, that were, in, were in the field. The field, the spot farm field last year was uh, 45 hectares and originally it had been uh, 10 fields because there are 10 different soil types within that field. And the mapping that we had done with uh, Hutchinson's uh, Omnia system when we did the carbon one, it's um, it's absolutely amazing when you look at the, you know, I can I can absolutely see uh, all the different colours that, you know, I know that's the good bits and the bad bits in the field because we've had potatoes in it for a number of uh, seasons. Uh, but for somebody that doesn't, you know, and that again, that's the difference between our family farm because we've grown potatoes in that field five or six times maybe something like that that I can remember uh, so we know the field quite well uh, but for a, a big agribusiness to come in and take a field you know they're really dipping their toe in the water they don't have the knowledge of that field historical knowledge that we do uh, and again it's just attention to detail talk through what is your current rotation generally we do uh, we start with just say potatoes are year one follow that by winter wheat then probably three years of spring barley for malting followed by oilseed rape followed by wheat and then back into potatoes mike um like to bring you in here so one of the biggest challenges that potato growers face is the disturbance of soil. There's quite a negative association with potato growers disturbing soil and having non-sustainable um, activities. What's your view on soil and soil disturbance and how can growers in the potato sector improve their sustainability? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think the bottom line is just to accept if you're going to grow spuds or for that matter, carrots or beet or anything else that's a, an intervention crop like that. It's an intervention crop, period. You can't, I've seen some stuff where in Canada, I think they had a, a, a no-till potato planter. Well, what it actually meant was that it was reducing one, I think, cultivation pre-planting. But if you need to separate stones, you need to make your beds, you are going to intervene. The important bit is if you're going to do that then you stretch out till you next come to it and Jim you were saying was it six six seven eight maybe before you come back in that period you make all the interventions you can to restore it and it's about potatoes is a one-year crop but they fit into a longer rotation of eight so you're you know the idea is you do all the stuff in between to bring you back to as a holistic eight-year view you're you're on the money or you're just above it as opposed to doing the potatoes and then doing nothing so so same with carrots and beet and it might with carrots is up to 10 years um and i think it's the things that, that that jim's doing and other growers are doing is saying okay well how can i put soil organic matter back at depth do i need to as soon as the spuds are out i address the compaction get the soil in the right place it's all about this soil health um, and then it's all the bits around it as well. So I, I think just the premise of if we don't want to have soil disturbance in spuds, then effectively you don't grow spuds. So we import uh, import spuds from wherever, and that global sort of we externalise, we globalise our our sort of um, that damage part. I was going to ask Jim in your intervening years, in terms of PCN, and I know you're doing that chitin compost. Are there any 
grass species, any herbs, forbs, you know, like legume type stuff you could put in that would trigger PCN to come out to hatch? Do they respond to some particular chemical that we don't, I don't I, know I, about? There are weeds there that, that will activate them, but obviously when the hatch, when the weeds are there, they can feed on the roots and multiply. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing, as far as I know, there are, there's no uh, mixture out there that will hatch them. And uh, there's, it's the chitin that's within the shells that actually activate, uh, yeah. activate it. And I, I don't think that there's anything, as far as I know, that will activate that. There was a, a, a farmer, and I'm having a senior moment just now because I've forgotten his name, but he brought out a, a stone separation system that rather than make a ridge and forward bury so that you're removing all the stone and clod from a 1.8 metre bed and putting it in rows. Now, there's a huge difference between England and Scotland. We've got quite a high content, stone content up here. We do have heavy land as well. Uh, and you're actually removing the drainage, but not only are you removing the drainage, when you take the stones away, uh, you know, they re retain so much heat around the potato uh, that they, they actually made it so they had a system where the stones were buried in the full width underneath. And I, you know, in principle, I thought that was a great idea. And it does work for carrots and for uh, potatoes, but only in land that, have a, that has a small stone mm. content or, or clod. And if we could get get that to work better it would be a better system for the potatoes as well as the soil structure all the stone separators that grimma man manufacture 90 percent of them come to the uk so it's very much a specific uh system UK based fish, yeah 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 i mean there's one or two areas in norway uh sweden uh and there's an odd bit in Holland and Germany where they, they do use a stone separator where there's high stone content, but primarily it's everybody does it here. You know, there are very few areas in the UK where it's pure sand where they, they don't separate. What stones are you thinking of? Because we're, we're, you know, we've got chalk and flint here as well, but I guess you're thinking yeah, the same as well. Yeah, we, we've got, we don't have uh, flinty stones or anything. I mean, we have, what <laughs> Uh, affectionately known as garlic bulls, which are round, hard stones, you know, they're not particularly, we have areas where there's some sandstone, you know, there's various different uh, stones, but, you know, I would say 99% of Scottish soils are stone separated, and I think that there's room in that system to improve it. I think one big thing that we notice when we're cultivating, if we can First of all, the, the land must be ploughed in good condition. If it's ploughed out of condition, and there's a lot of land uh, ploughed nowadays with these big tractors when they shouldn't, when it shouldn't be. Uh, and as providing it's ploughed in good condition and ridged straight out of the plough for and separated without any additional cultivation, it's always much easier to harvest. The drainage is always better because of the aggregate size within the row is slightly bigger. How critical is that soil warming piece? Is it two or three degrees, do you think, or is it? It'll be more than that. You know, I, it, I yeah? think one thing that, I, that you can pick out here as you move, we're right on the seaside on the east coast of Scotland. Uh, and as you move up higher, where there's uh, 
a lot of big, <laughs> big stones. Uh, you can not potato land. You would never dream of putting potatoes in that land. But in a in a dry season, the difference between uh, the crops and the cereal mm -hmm. because those stones are there retaining heat. You know, we've had a run of very cold springs where the crops have been very slow to start. And you know, I think once the sun's on the stones and the they definitely do retain that heat. Yeah. Well, you see, that's that's the other bit about sustainability. It's in this climate envelope and, you know, the climate is changing how fast where it's changing. People can argue about that and we have to ad adapt to it. And little things like that, attention to detail of soil temperature, it's important for this. You know, it's going to, I don't know, you these, these um, I'll think of it like a sine wave and, you know, it can stretch out and it can have more amplitude. But generally we're having these drier winters, colder winters, you pick the combinations that you want. We don't really know. We we kind of just go with it, don't we? And then we go, oh, yeah, why did that work or didn't work? And yeah. the weather. And it, and it is, and it doesn't, it is. it's not consistent. You know, you can do something one year that works and it doesn't work the next year. Uh, I was always taught uh, that you never farm with a calendar, you farm with a season. Uh, and the secret was knowing when the season was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, we're looking at, you know, where people say my drains aren't flowing. Well, actually, can the water get to your drains? Have you put in compaction over the years, different systems? And it's getting, you know, we, we've sort of been driven a bit by, as an industry, by technology and innovations to fix basic problems, which, you know, in the early conversation, you saw things going behind the plough. You figured out, well, this, this is a bit wet. There's a drain block there. There's a bit more stone here, whatever. We, we've we kind of just gone for machinery and there's an innovation above ground that will be the sticking plaster. It will fix it. And actually, they reach their potential, their maximum, and you're, you're stuck mm -hmm. and you have to go below the ground and go. And it's not just about carbon. It's about drainage. It's about temperature. It's about have you got oxygen in there? Have you got the right mix of of food in there for all the soil biology to say I, I can do a job for you now which is where the straw compost is quite good because you know this bit about I leave all my residues on the top well actually you need to and the worms will do it no they won't they'll do a bit but then if you incorporate it or or somehow mix it with manure put it back on again carbon accounting taking that water account you've actually got a much better product for the soil to use more quickly you know, and it's just little things like that that we're thinking about. It was interesting this year when uh, the results of the, the straw mulch trials came back that the the gross yield was higher uh, and the marketable yield was higher. And I imagine that the straw, it was a very cool spring last year, and I imagine the, the straw acted as an insulation against that. And I think also uh, it was a very dry summer and it, I think it uh, retained the moisture better. Uh, well, straw on the surface reflects a lot of the sort of solar radiation that actually warms the soils up. So you're getting this cold bit just underneath and then cold, wet, clammy, things don't grow. You know, it's it's yeah, the whole piece. Mm -hmm. And it's that nuances that a little bit, you can have a big system change, but you have to understand how to dial in the performance. We did a little bit of work. We, uh, some self-propelled harvesters this autumn and the weight that these machines are and the compaction mm -hmm. that, the, that they're causing they're actually moving away from that in holland and going back to trails machines because it's they're lighter machines and if it is wet then they just stay off the land because that's when the damage is done 
but it's not it's so it, and it's almost like a sticking plasters sticking plasters not quite the right analogy but for me it works where you're trying to oh we just need to go bigger we need to go faster we need to go we end up going heavier and actually there is this little value in not being like that and as you were saying about hedges and ditches and all those things intrinsically they they define a landscape and then someone says yeah but if i could get rid of that hedge i could go faster through there well actually there's there's natural enemies there's beneficials in there there's other functions coming out of all this stuff which you've you've probably well you're actually benefiting from it but you've deployed the resource and you've kept it going and you've thought about it in a much wider context which is what we try and get people to do is yeah sure the the activity at the point is really important for sustainability in any crop but just step back a bit and look and see if there's anything else that can help you and i'm sure you're getting benefit in all your crop your rotation you i know you're going longer in your rotation all of that adds up to stuff sometimes you can't see but you know it's intrinsically giving you something and it's worth protecting or enhancing is that something you think i think that with the all the spot farm work we've done with the wildflower strips the purge strips round outside for uh, the aphids uh, and dave parish from the game and wildlife game and wildlife conservation trust has uh, set traps to assess the predators that are within these flower strips and it was actually him that said at the end of last year he said you know it's brilliant putting in all these flower strips you've got a huge diversity of predators within these unsprayed flower strips within the field but unfortunately when the potato crops lifted it's gone because <laughs> it just goes into the next crop so what we're doing this year is we've got a slightly smaller five hectare field within that rotation where we're going to establish beetle banks at uh, 90 metre uh, centres. It's a 30 metre sprayer on the farm and leave that for four or five years. Obviously, if we put in a two metre uh, beetle bank, it's just a strip of grass. Uh, the, the, the farmer is going to be able to claim EFA for those strips within the field and hopefully uh, what he tried to explain was that these are corridors through the field where it's all very well putting in uh, strips around outside of a field, but that's where the predators are. Uh, you know, foxes, etc., weasels, stoats, all that kind of thing. They all go around outside of a field, but they generally don't go into the middle of the field. So these corridors that are in the field with the beetle banks are going to help with a whole lot of biodiversity as well as given he's quite passionate about great partners and it's given them a better uh, a better chance mm -hmm. interesting bit about what you said about your your margins or these beetle banks going to the edge yeah in in certain times that works but other times you want to have a gap so you actually have a headland around it so you just stop that that barrier because if you've got partridge or other bird species happily nesting in there and the foxes and everything else got real access so it's kind of having that cropped for you it would be a 30 meter headland and then you start your beetle bank we're also looking at and i know they've done it at rotherfield and others combination of flowers on the outside with um a uh, grass beetle bank effectively in the middle so mm -hmm. it becomes uh, the grange it's an eight meter strip mm -hmm. so we're trying to give the the beneficials across all crops across the rotation places to to feed to nest and to to mate effectively in that one area as opposed to just flowers then you have to go off field to find your hibernation place so that might be interesting but all very exciting stuff and you're fitting it in with potatoes and all your other crops as well well we're losing so much chemistry now uh, you know obviously aphid vectors 
uh, are, are a big thing uh, in seed, produ seed potato production. Uh, and the further north that you go uh, up in the Black Isle, you know, there is less uh, aphid pressure. We can often have five, six varieties in the same field. So in the divisions between the varieties, so we just sow the 1.8 metre strip between each variety. So we have these wildflower strips up and down the field between varieties, but we sow spring barley on the headlands, which act as punch strips for the aphids as they come into the field. I think the, the loss of chemistry, obviously, as far and as far as seed production is concerned, the loss of chemistry, uh, you know, we have to look at these alternatives. I must say that I was sceptical when we did the straw mulch last year because I was nervous about uh, how we would get on at harvest time. But uh, Eric Anderson from Scottish Agronomy has uh, some lovely drone footage of the, the separator on the harvester working. And, you know, it just wasn't an issue. And I think the important thing is he did replicated trials. Uh, he took bags of chopped straw down to Fife and did replicated trials with the straw mulch. And he had a 50% a reduction in virus where they didn't reduce uh, vectors into the crop. Uh, so I think that's really important because it's not a it's not an exact science. You know, you can have <clears throat> you can have vectors come in very early in the season. Uh, you know, the potato as it goes through its life becomes a little more resistant to to uh, vectors later on in the season, which is a is a positive. But uh, you know, we still need to have something. And in terms of um, PCN and the challenges you're facing. Are you seeing much? I think that the work that we've done, the spot farm work that we've done identifying uh, areas of PCN, uh, PCN isn't a huge problem in, in our seed producing corner, but there are uh, pockets of it. So we're able to use uh, chitinous compost. The, the soil samples are taken at 10 kilos a hectare and we're identifying in the field exactly where it is and it's Honestly, it's in very small strips within the field. In one field in particular, there's one strip that's probably only four metres wide the whole length of the field. On either side of it, there's nothing. So we're able to treat that with uh, this chitinous soil improver, uh, which hatches the, the PCN, and obviously there's nothing there for them to eat and the, and the dye. Uh, we, will, we will then follow that up the following year uh, and just see how good a job that we've done. So Mike, if, if you're somebody like Jim and you're growing potatoes and you're starting this journey and you're not as far advanced as Jim is in terms of how to start looking at improving the sustainability on farm, where what should a potato grower be starting to consider? I think they should just ring Jim. A <laughs> <laughs> conversation with him. I, I mean, it's, the, it's like we said at the, the start is, and Jim described his rotation as potatoes year one. OK, let's just start there. And then you think, when am I coming back to them? And what do I have to do in the meantime to make everything work? Because ultimately, in those systems, all the crops have to, to pay their way. But the potatoes are the functional component. Yeah, one and seven or one and eight, whatever. And and there's no shortcuts, as Jim would know. You know, if you if you really don't get year four, five and six right, when you come back to your spuds in seven. It's not where it should be. But then, yeah, go and talk, do all this stuff, talk to us, find out information. 
investment in big machinery has to pay its way, you know, and it, sometimes it's not that, it's a small system change. And it's having the confidence to do it maybe on a small area. Um, it won't be, you won't fix it straight away. You're going to make mistakes. Mistakes are okay as long as you learn by them. And, and Jim, what about you? If you're talking to another grower, what is your advice for somebody looking to improve their sustainability on farm? There has to be a balance. You know, there has to be a balance between the the natural approach and the commercial approach. Uh, I mean, ideally, uh, when it all used to be family farms in this area, everybody, everybody would keep one cattle beast per acre and you would have three years of grass in the rotation. And mm -hmm. one of the farms that we grow potatoes on has still, ha still have uh, cattle on the farm. And we come in now uh, when the grass is due to be taken out because they've nothing to handle leather jackets in a cereal crop now. And how much easier that soil is to cultivate than the stuff that's been in an, a, a constant arable rotation. So, you know, whether we go back to keeping livestock and having grass in the rotation, it's definitely something that's in my mind. So my last question to you both is, what is your favourite variety of potato and why? Jim, what's your favourite variety of potato? A very old variety called Pentland Dell that still, that McCain still uses, although in a declining amount, it has a lovely flavour. Uh, it's easy to grow, <laughs> but unfortunately its yield uh, doesn't compare with some of the newer varieties and that's why McCain are winding it down. But it is one of the McCain, uh, the McDonald uh, uh, allowed varieties. Uh, and it's, you know, it just has a lovely flavour. You know, there's there's a lot of new varieties out there. You've got to put a pack of butter in it to get any flavour, you know. <laughs> and how about you, Mike? What's your favourite variety? Well, it's interesting that Jim ended with flavour there. I always go for pink fur apple. I just think that, uh, you know, never mind how you clean them. They're just the shapes of them. I mean, if you talk about wonky veg or rude veg, they're a laugh at a minute, these, these potatoes. But, you know, the flavour, roasted, little bit of butter on them, that nutty, woody, chestnutty type thing. Well, big thank you, Jim and Mike, for such an interesting conversation all about soil sustainability and the future plans that you have in place, Jim. If you have enjoyed the conversation as much as I have, and you don't already receive the Perfecting Potatoes Together newsletter, you can sign up to receive it on the BASF website. But until next time, my name is Rebecca Dawes, and I look forward to joining you on our next podcast in May. <laughs>